And welcome to Back Chat uh, with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And this morning on Back Chat, uh, we're talking about the, the controversy over sick children being separated from their parents uh, after being infected with COVID-19. Um, a, a number of messages for, uh, from listeners, which, which I'll sort of uh, work into the conversation. But uh, um, we're now joined on the line by uh, Dr. Uh, Lucy Lord, uh, Hong Kong... Uh, okay. Um, Lucy Lord is a Hong Kong-based uh, obstetrician and uh, gynaecologist and executive chair of the mental health charity Mind Hong Kong. Um, um, good morning to you. And good morning. Also, we're also joined by uh, legislator uh, St Stephen... Uh, uh, Okay, um, so, I'm sorry. Uh, legislator Stephen Wong, who's joining us a, a little bit later, I've just been told, uh, in my earpiece. Um, so, um, uh, Lucy Lord, good morning to you. You're in our Admiralty studio. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Now, um, there have been a lot, a lot of calls for, uh, for, for guidelines and for uh, the, the hospital authority um, to d desist with this practice of separating parents uh, and children. Um, so uh, a senior a chief manager with the hospital authority, Sarah Ho, has said that uh, um, it's difficult to strike a balance between hospitalisation and, and the arrangement to allow uh, parents to accompany them, but, uh, but they're going to try anyway. And, and it seems as though it's also down to uh, uh, individual hospitals, uh, what arrangements they will make. Um, so um, tell us more about what you think about this situation. Well, I think we've been responding to, um, obviously, feedback from our patients and from um, not just our patients of the practice, but patients across Hong Kong and their experiences. But we've also been talking to frontline doctors in the various public hospitals about their experiences. We, we looking at the numbers, we know that around 3,000 children were admitted in this fifth wave so far. 2,000 of them were under five and about 1,000 were between the ages of five to 11. We've been trying to work out, and it's not been easy, how many of those children were admitted um, where their parents were not allowed to accompany them. And we think, um, asking the different hospitals, um, Estimates vary with about 5% of parents being allowed in for various reasons, up to about 25%. So we think probably about 2,000 children have been admitted to public hospitals um, for between uh, two and seven days um, without being able to be with or see their parents. Um, and I think the response of the health authority uh, you know, has not been completely frank. Um, this is not a new problem. Um, I think it's been highlighted because of the pandemic. But as a practice, we have been uh, trying to get some traction around having the situation changed for uh, nearly 20 years. So most hospitals in Hong Kong do not commit to keep to keeping parents with their children when their sick children are admitted. And I think although um, sound bites like child friendly and family friendly and balancing risks um, sound like a reasonable explanation, in fact, they're not. Um, 
what what I think would be much better is if the health authority committed to only separating uh, a child, a sick child from their parent or familiar carer, if it was absolutely in that child's best interests. And, uh, you know, I think every parent in Hong Kong is really waiting to hear that commitment. Yeah, I, th I think there's an underlying fear, isn't there? So in your own practice, what percentage of people would you have seen have left Hong Kong because of the fear of this? Um, I mean, we, our practice probably made up of 50% um, international patients and 50% local patients. So I would say probably 30% of our international patients have left as a result of the fear of child separation and partly as a result of the of the problems with schooling um, but I also have seen a lot of our local patients who have the means to leave um, probably about 20% of them have left mm. now this separation of uh, children from their parents in hospital uh, what, what kind of um, sort of uh, psychological impact does that have we see, we, we really divide the psychological impact into two. There's the acute um, separation anxiety and trauma and distress that I think a lot of our, our colleagues in the front line in the HA have, have also found very distressing. So doctors are reporting um, who are treating children with COVID where they're separated from their parents being quite distressed at seeing um, the reactions of their ch of the children that they're looking after um, so this is you know not not what any parent wants to um, agree to um, but over and above the acute trauma that children suffer at being admitted to an unfamiliar environment and if you think the nurses who might be able normally to give some comfort and emotional support um, because they're in isolation, the children are in isolation, they're often on their own and the nurses are wearing full PPE. So obviously it's almost impossible for them to give them a hug or, or show emotional support in the way that they need. And we know that many of the children when they get home are behaving uh, very differently uh, than before they went to hospital. Some of them are self-harming. Some of them are very afraid to go anywhere without their parents. Some of them are even showing signs that they have regressed in terms of their um, development and educational ability. And we know that um, post-traumatic stress for children can go on and lead to long-term mental health problems um, as they become adults. So it, it really is, um, it's not in a child's best interest to be separated from their parent during an illness. It's pretty traumatic for the parents as well, isn't it? So <clears throat> what would it take for the health authority to acknowledge the piles of of evidence to the long-term attachment bond and traumatic damage caused by this kind of separation? I think um, all of the paediatricians and the 
um, administrators in the depart in the in the health authority are, are aware of this problem. I think the difficulty is. Um, no one really takes responsibility for why it's happening. Um, I mean, we all we all understand that in a crisis and a pandemic, things are not perfect. But there must have been, you know, five, ten, twenty solutions to this uh, problem of you know suddenly finding a lot of children needing to be admitted to hospital. But why have we chosen the one solution that makes the child and their parents suffer? It it doesn't make sense. Mm. Mm. I mean, this is not new, is it? Going back to the 1930s in the UK, children with diphtheria were separated from their parents. I think the most celebrated case of this is the gangster Ronnie Cray, who was both the Cray twins had diphtheria and were separated from their parents. <laughs> and well, Violet Cray went in and yanked them out of the hospital because she could see the damage that was being done and many psychological examinations of those two it's been attributed in Ronnie's case to his later psychosis to being to having been um, really engendered from from those days of separation from his mother yes I think the problem is in the 1930s people didn't know what damage separation from from the, the familiar carer did to children but we've known this now for 60 years and nearly every country has brought in um, very clear guidelines that children are only ever separated from their parents in hospital when it is in their best interests but in Hong Kong we haven't done that I mean I think I, what I would like to see more than anything else is that um, if we, if the if the health authority would make the admission of a sick child under six without a parent or familiar carer a reportable adverse incident, I believe we would stop this phenomenon permanently. Um, we don't need platitudes. What we need is real action, and uh, and obviously. There may be cases when there is no other alternative due to the circumstances or the ward or the hospital to admit children without a parent. And there may be individual circumstances when that has to happen. But it should absolutely be to the exception of the policies, protocols and culture of that institution. And at the, at the moment, that's not the case. Mm. In terms of hardware, does it require a major redesign of the wards to make physical space for adults to be there with the kids? No, I think it needs a major redesign of culture and attitude. Um, there are always ways of working around physical problems and the health authority has a huge number of hospitals at its disposal and a huge number of um, physical assets which it could use. I think the problem is um, that, that children are actually not the main priority and I think that has to change. 
Okay, uh, there's a comment here on our Facebook page, uh, back chat on RTHK Radio 3, from uh, Ellie Kate says, uh, My four-month-old son developed uh, stridor breathing, so I took him to A&E at Pamela Ude Hospital. I was aware of stories of mother-child separation, but honestly, this didn't concern me. Getting my son immediate medical attention was my only priority. He was seen to quickly and thoroughly with love and kindness they admitted him and called me an hour later to say he was covid positive and had croup a side effect of omicron in babies he was hospitalized for two nights and while in hospital doctors would ring me and give me updates on his condition and answer all my questions he was discharged when his condition improved but he was still covid positive so he could recover at home he was born at pamela Ude hospital so i knew he he was always going to be in good hands. It was uh, very scary seeing my son in such distress, which came on very, very quickly, and I will forever be grateful to the calm, professional and caring medical team who cared for him so wonderfully. Uh, well, um, there is a listener who obviously <laughs> is very happy with the attention that uh, her son received. So um, in, in these cases, I mean, I mean, can they be handled in such a way that uh, even though there is a separation of parent and child, um, uh, the outcome is good and, and the degree of sensitivity uh, limits the potential trauma. I think, yes, and, and don't get me wrong, um, you know, along with the stories of kind of institutional kind of disregard for... Um, you know the best interests of of the child there are also huge numbers of stories of individual you know kindness compassion and humanity where frontline staff have really tried to mitigate the effect of separation um but i would say that that sh it should not be up to an individual doctor or nurse to mitigate a culture policy and procedure that is not in the best interests of the child it should be at the heart of the culture of the of the hospital involved that that child is always treated in its best interests um you know it, it don't get me wrong um you know lots of my friends and lots of our doctors friends our frontline doctors and we know they are upset by seeing what is happening to the children and what is difficult to understand is why when frontline staff um don't feel it's in a child's best interests and why when the chief executive of Hong Kong and the chief executive of the health authority and Sarah Ho who's head of risk management goes this is not what we feel is in the best interest why is it still happening and I think one of the saddest things about this is that this has been happening for a very long time in all public hospitals for the first time because of the pandemic the children of rich and powerful people have been affected and um, the children of rich and powerful people are at risk and this is the reason this subject has been given so much press time and airtime. but actually I don't worry about rich and powerful people because they have options what I worry about are the many very compliant um, local parents and children 
who have just um, submitted to this practice over the last 30 years because they don't feel they have any option and it's not in their culture or nature to complain. What happens in the mainland? I think, um, I actually think things are a bit better in the mainland, but we do hear that um, this, is a, this is a particularly uh, difficult problem because um, resources in the mainland are so much worse than in Hong Kong. But we have, you know, supposedly a, a first-class um, hospital and medical system in Hong Kong. We have, you know, huge excess in GDP. We don't have the excuse that the mainland might have in not treating our children properly. Mm. Um, well, also now with us is uh, legislator Stephen Wong. Um, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, you've raised concerns about this issue as well, and you want to, to see uh, guidelines issued uh, to ensure that uh, parents and children infected with COVID-19 won't be separated. Uh, can you tell us uh, some more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, uh, as, as Lucy said, I mean, this is obviously a uh, fundamental health issue or uh, mental health issue for the children if they're separated uh, at critical time um, in, in, the, in the chaos in, in the hospital uh, during COVID. And also it is, um, you know, under uh, UNICEF, uh, this is um, under the sort of the, um, uh, the Convention of Rights of Child and the Charter of Children in Hospital. Um, they, uh, the children do have the right uh, uh, to not be separated and then view as a unit with the family uh, when they actually uh, be hospitalized. Uh, so despite the fact that what, what we have uh, observed is that the, the importance of guidelines is that um, despite the repeated assurance from uh, the CE himself um, and even chairman of HHA, uh, there seems to, ha uh, you know, we've heard uh, you know, practices that is otherwise practiced in, in the hospital. So, uh, so in order to make sure those good intentions are carried out throughout the operations of each of the clusters in each of the hospitals, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that is carried out consistently. Uh, you know, we view that it is a, uh, a prior importance to make sure there is a clear guideline uh, that is uh, executed and complied with uh, by default. Throughout, obviously, there can be exceptions, if, if, you know, due to medical, uh, real medical uh, reasons. But, but you know, by, by default, this guideline should be observed and carried out uh, throughout the hospitals. Uh, I think that 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 uh, that is what is important. So, what's going to change? What, what's going to change? Mm. Um, what's um, got to the, change? The change is, um, you know, um, that that the guidelines should, um, as I said, uh, right now, uh, the default is that. Um, the, it seems like the default is that uh, um, prior to this guideline is that um, they would view, um, you know, some sort so of the medical or the physical uh, needs of the child as a priority, which is obviously important. Um, but what we are, what I'm asking for is by default, they should uh, at the, do it at the same time. That, that is, uh, on the one hand, the, the physical needs to be, should be cared for. And at the same time, uh, the, the child and the caregiver, especially the parents, should be viewed as one unit uh, when, let's say, the child is uh, tested positive and the parent is not. But the parent should be, uh, by default, uh, given an option to stay with the child 
uh, under obviously full disclosure of the risk that that might involve. Uh, not necessarily with a bed in the hospital, but you know, with whatever makeshift chair, uh, they can still have an option if they so, so choose to to stay with the child. So, how quickly do you think this can be changed? Well, it is a really an operational uh, guidelines, um, and I, I I I was told, and and as you t heard in the public, that they they have committed to this change. So what, what I'm saying is that they, this change needs to be permanent and consistent, meaning that they change this not because now the fifth grade peak is, by, is passed and therefore they now have more resources and therefore uh, be able to handle this. I wanted to see that they committed to this. Let's say if we have another way and then the, the hospitals and uh, it will be in chaos again, but still they, they have this guidelines and therefore they would uh, carry out this policy consistently, not because of sort of the, the peak and trough of the, of the COVID, but, but, but consistently carried out throughout, throughout various ways. And you've also expressed concern about the effect that this is having on Hong Kong's uh, international reputation. You know, absolutely. I mean, that's um, uh, uh, clearly that, that uh, as, as Lucy said, um, it, 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 you know, this is issue obviously uh, affects the the, you know, across um, social uh, spectrum and, and uh, different groups in the community, and one of the groups uh, that that is affected is, 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 is expat community. Not not because we are saying this because of the expat, uh, but the fact that you know they 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 or, or even the locals. I mean, some of the uh, locals or expat in in, and in various industry they 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 they, make, they they are more mobile uh, globally, and therefore they you know some some of them don't need to be in Hong Kong. Uh, to carry out their business, and they would choose to, uh, you know, and, and this additional, uh, you know, issue, the, the the potential of being separated from their child, actually will nudge them uh, into other places to carry out their businesses, and and obviously that is that is that is bad for Hong Kong as an international center. Okay, we we'll have a caller, Mark. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, Please just go ahead. A simple yeah. comment. Um, I think. Prior to this ep epidemic, it, it might have been necessary to have a special policy, but when the epidemic occurred, we had more than 100,000 people a day being infected. And I live opposite the hospital, a government hospital, and you, you see the old people outside in tents, you know, and you think, there is no space. Obviously, if anybody in the right mind would want to take the parents in and, you know, to, to take care of the children, but... Where, where are you going to put them? You know, that, I think I, I feel sorry for the I have, I have nurses that have been, have been infected and, and doctor friends that have been infected, not to mention the, the other staff. The, the point is, where are the beds? Where, what, what do you do? I mean, um, maybe they should build a new hospital or something, but you know, uh, it's prior to the pandemic, there's one thing. During the pandemic, especially this fifth wave, it's just, it's somebody mentioned previously there were possibly four million people infected. If that's the case, that's more than half the population. That's unbelievable, even though it's asymptomatic. Um, you know, how, what, what do you do? I mean, if, if, if I were in charge, I'd just put up my hands and surrender. I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, obviously, children and parents should be together in the best interest of the child, of course.
But if you don't have the space, what do you do? Mm. You know, I, I think nobody expected we went from zero to a hundred okay. in in, 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 uh, in two or three months. Yeah. Absurdly, it just shot up like that, you know? Okay, um, okay. Thanks for, thanks for your comment, uh, Mark. I think uh, uh, Lucy Lord uh, wants to respond. Dr. Lord? I, th I think we should be clear that this issue currently is not about space. Um, obviously, everyone is hugely symptomatic, sympathetic to, to both the HA and everyone who works in it. You're suddenly hit by a huge number of cases and you do what you can and that's an exceptional circumstance. And I think... Um, no one is blaming the HA for the difficulties during the peak of the pandemic. But really that lasted about five to ten days. And with the opening of QE and changes to the wards, there really was enough space. Our reports were most of the paediatric wards very quickly were only at around 50% capacity. Um, the real problem then was um, staffing. But a response to um, low staffing, to admit children on their own without their parents, just compounded the tragedy because you had overwhelmed staff and children with no one to support or help them. And there were other solutions to this problem that were not considered. And we need to know why solutions that were in the best interests of those children were not considered. Okay, could, could I put one other uh, matter to you, um, to you both? Uh, again, a comment on our Facebook, this from Victoria, says uh, uh, one subset of sick children is the situation for pregnant mothers and newborns. The government needs to give guidelines about what mothers can expect if they test positive and ensure they will not be separated from their newborns. We who are giving birth soon anxiously await answers. The government should follow WHO guidelines on pregnancy and COVID-19. Lucy Lord? Well, I think this is, um, this is a problem that both uh, public and private hospitals need to address. Currently, if you test positive for COVID on a PCR, you will um, not be allowed to um, have your newborn with you after birth and not even from skin to skin, even though uh, international experts make very clear it is in the best interests of both the mother and the child to remain together. Now, this policy is outdated. It's not evidence-based. It's caused enormous distress to pregnant women. And that most of the frontline doctors that are dealing with pregnant women who are COVID positive are very clear that this should end immediately. But no one is taking any notice of them, and I don't understand why. Mm. Uh, Stephen Wong, thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, well, yes, I agree with uh, Lucy, but you know, just given the timing, can I one, raise one last issue? Because today we talk about hospitals. Yeah. But given the potential of mandatory testing, I think, you know, the, the social uh, isolation community, isolation facilities that are all built, that is managed by various departments, social welfare departments, uh, the security bureau and various departments. And each of these the community isolation facilities, yes, they have some room for family, but, you know, they also need to make it clear that the family as a unit, uh, you know, even though one of them are not tested positive, uh, should be 
allowed to stay together. I think this message uh, and policy also need to be carried out uh, in other other various by other various departments as well. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Stephen Wong, a member of the Legislative Council, and uh, thank you to you. And thanks also to uh, Dr. Lucy Lord, a Hong Kong-based uh, obstetrician and gynaecologist, and executive chair of the mental health charity Mind Hong Kong. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, more emails to read out tomorrow. Um, thanks very much to you, Anna. Thank you, Jim. And to our producer, Yuki Jung. And just before we go to the news summary, and after that morning brew, a quick look at the weather. A sunny periods today. Uh, top temperature will be around uh, 25 degrees. Moderate easterly winds. The outlook, sunny periods tomorrow. Rather warm during the day. It'll become cool and windy with a few rain patches on Friday and Saturday, becoming fine and dry early next week. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 72%. Given the volatility of the pandemic, please get the third COVID-19 vaccination dose soon. The antibody level will drop over time after receiving a vaccine. Getting the third jab gives extra protection to guard against the virus. Most importantly, it reduces the risks of severe disease and death. The mutant strains are highly contagious. Get the first and second doses soon if you haven't done so and receive the third one on time to protect yourself and those around you. Enhance protection. Get all three doses. The new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Jim. Russia has said it will drastically reduce its military activity in the Kiev and Chernihiv regions of northern Ukraine following peace talks in Turkey. Russia's deputy defense minister said the aim was to increase mutual trust. Ukraine's armed forces say although individual Russian units have been withdrawn from those two regions, Moscow is continuing its full-scale armed aggression. At least four people have been killed in Israel in a shooting in the town of B'nai Barach, the third such attack in the past week. Police say the gunman was also shot dead. Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said his country was facing a wave of murderous attacks. And new analysis shows that for the first time, wind and solar power generated more than 10% of the world's electricity last year. But the think tank, Ember, found the amount of electricity generated from coal in 2021 also rose at the fastest rate since 1985. I'll have more on these and other stories in the news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy counts, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide for what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. It's Wednesday and off we go again here on Morning Brew. Great to be back with you. It's classical music day today. Our mate, composer and conductor Colin Touchin is still away, but he's going to be back soon. So today we're going to welcome back, I'm going to use him as much as I can, top English trumpeter Paul Archibald, because it's Brass Part 2, and why not? That's at 10.40. So a famous musician once said, let him know you're back there, when he was talking about the low brass section of his big, big American orchestra. It's the low brass player's creed, apparently. So Paul is going to be playing you some fine examples of brass power today in the works of more great composers. 
After 11, Ocean Recovery Alliance's Doug Woodring will be back with us for this week's little chat live from San Francisco. Chris Watts joins us for this week's class after 12 live from Bangkok and slightly later than normal, RTL France's Philippe Devar will be bringing you more French hits and stuff from our final destination of the day and that is Tokyo.